Last week I considered it a daunting task to communicate the glory of God uh, as, as, as I did last Sunday, and I pray that the Lord helped me. Today we're going to capitalize the word daunting, and uh, it's still a daunting task to talk about the distinguishing presence of God. Um, but I pray that the Lord will help me today and he'll help us to hear more. I'm obviously, as I've often prayed, more interested in you hearing the Holy Spirit than he, than you hear me. But sometimes you get both. The distinguishing presence of God. I want to point out early on that we're not talking about the extinguishing presence of God. And while that's funny, uh, too often when we are faced with the truth and the message of, of the presence of God, we often think about him extinguishing someone. And while it is true that a sinful life will face a judgment from God, and the judgment from God is God's mercy to bring us back, uh, while that's true, we need to see God not as an extinguishing God, but a God who distinguishes his people from all the other people in the earth. So what is it that makes us different and sets us apart from all the religious followers of the world? I need not say, and I need not tell you, but I will anyway, that there are myriads upon myriads of religions around the world probably right here in Mount Juliet. By the way, any of you who are concerned about our next-door neighbors, I've had so many questions. People from City Hall called me when these folks bought this property over here. Want to know, hey, what, what are those folks? They're just as Christian as you are. They're Egyptians. It's a Coptic Christian church. So anyway, anybody, this is Colt Row, but not because of them. And hopefully not because of us. You got to go a little further down the street. What is it that makes us different from all these religious groups around the world? And the question we want to ask ourselves today is, is the presence of God a joy to us or a dread to us? And when I asked myself that question and decided to ask you that question, I thought of Job when he said he was talking about all the things that God has done and God is doing in his life. And he said, therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider I am in dread of him. When we consider the presence of God, is it something that brings joy to us? Or are we dreading that moment? Well, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to read, starting in verse 12. I read, I read part of Exodus 33 last Sunday, but we're going to read up to the point that I started last Sunday. And, uh, I'm going to read through verse 17. If you would stand with me while we read the word of God. 
And I'm reading again from the English Standard Version. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not Bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, The very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. I know you by name. You may be seated. And I want to let you know today, Moses was not the only one God knows by name. God knows you by name. The presence of God. It's one of those things that's, again, daunting to try to communicate the presence of God. If you look in the Hebrew text, it communicates that the presence of God is the front. It's the face of God. It's the countenance of God. It's in the Hebrew text, it really means the face of God that turns. The face that turns. Now, when you think about a face or someone's face, you think about all the glory and all the characteristics of a person. I remember as a small, small child in church, and I ran up to my mother, and I mean, I was about Jack's age, probably. I ran up to my mother and tugged on her coat from behind, and I said, Mama, Mama, and she turned around, and it wasn't my mama. <laughs> Why? I couldn't see her face. Now, I think she had a coat on similar to my mother, but anyway, when you when you consider someone's face, you consider who they are. When you see someone in the face, not only do you get who they are, you get, sometimes you can get what's going on. A lot of you folks, people can read your face without you saying a word. My, my wife gets so mad at me. She, I know exactly what she's thinking. I know exactly what she, you know, of course, we've been married 49 years. That happens. But at the same time, she communicates well with her face. <laughs> And the good news is, I get to look at it. I still like looking at it after 49 years. Matter of fact, I like looking at it better. I better get off of that. All the glory and all the characteristics of a person is found in their face. This is true of God. This is true of God's face. So think about His face that turns that turns toward you. And as I was preparing this, I thought of when Peter denied Christ three times. After the third time, Luke is the only one that records this, but we know it's in, we know it happened. The third time, the scripture says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
The Lord Jesus turned. Can you think about what you would feel like? You're standing there denying Christ. You're, you're using some profanity to try to separate yourself from him. And as soon as you uh, deny him three times and then you remember that he told you, see, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. In the midst of the trial, Jesus turned and looks at Peter. Eyeball to eyeball. Which is why the next words in that verse say, he went out and wept bitterly. Turned and looked. The presence of God. I want to say, and we'll talk about this a little more later on, but I want to say that God's presence is always present. Now you learned that in Sunday school. I hope. It's always present. Um, but I want us to also say that sometimes we experience more of his presence. Sometimes uh, we experience times when we sense his presence. It's almost like God reaches in, in whatever veil there might be and peels back a corner of that veil and allows us to experience his presence. And that might we might experience that in many different ways, maybe just a feeling, maybe a move of God that affects people. Uh, you, you and I, all of us know those times, and we've, we've had those times when we sensed the impact of God's presence greater than times before. But we don't live there. We don't live in those moments of high times, we might call it. But we always live with a God who's present. If his, if his presence is with us, then he's always present. Now, you haven't got to go to Bible college to figure that out. I have recommended this book so many times, but and some of you have told me that you've gotten it and you're reading it or you have read it. I recommend it once again. And the book is entitled The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Uh, Brother Lawrence is not a theologian or a seminarian. He's just a monk. But anyway, it's a great book on letters that he wrote back and forth with some folks. Uh, but uh, I highly recommend it. It's not a thick book, but... Uh, it talks about the fact that we in our life can practice living in his presence even though we may not feel the high times all the time. And yet we can be aware. The scripture talks about people who tried to get away from his presence. Uh, Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned, the Bible says they hid from the presence of the Lord. It's interesting, it says they hid from the presence of the Lord among the trees. Now, the trees is what got them into trouble. But they hid from the presence of the Lord among the trees. Uh, just a little while later, their son, Cain, it says, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Cain went away after he had murdered his brother and been judged by God and yet been saved by God because God promised anybody who lays a hand on Cain they have to deal with me. And, of course, our friend Jonah. The Bible tells us Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. God said, go one way. Jonah went another. That way, I'm not going, to, no, I'm not going over there. 
you know, if I go over there to Nineveh, he's going to save those folks. Who would want that? I'm going to, I'm going over here to Tarshish. He, he, he tried to flee from the presence of God. How many of you know God's presence found Jonah in the belly of the fish? It wasn't that when the fish swallowed Jonah, God was sitting on the throne and going, wow, now I can't get to him. Because God, not only is God's presence everywhere, he made the fish. Why would one flee from God's presence? Why would one want to flee from God's presence? Well, in the case of the Garden of Eden, a broken relationship due to disobedience. When you... And when Adam and Eve realized they had disobeyed God and they had broken that relationship, they wanted to go hide. They did not want to face God. And more importantly, they did not want God to face them with his presence. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Now, some of you do that while I'm preaching. Miss Ann Neville, who's in heaven now, used to always, in her her, her New York accent, would say, Pastor Larry. She'd, she'd apologize for sleeping. She says, this is medicine I take. I just can't stay awake. I said, you know what? You probably need to rest, and I'm glad I can help. <laughs> in this case, the word nod, interestingly enough, means Wandering, W-A-N. Oh, there it is. Wandering. He settled in the land of wandering. And I want to say that wandering is done without regard to the guiding presence of the Lord. You're trying to escape that. In Jonah's case, we flee God's presence because we want to go in a different direction than God. Now, we could all say, oh, me, but I won't have you do it. A different direction than God, because God said go one way and we go another. Because sometimes we think we're smarter than God. Sometimes we don't. I heard a case recently where someone said, this and this, this is what the Bible says about that. And the other person said, well, I don't believe that. And the reason they didn't, they said they don't believe that, because the Bible did not fit their accepted value system. Instead of allowing the Bible to determine their value system, they had determined their own value system. And when the Bible disagreed with their value system, well, I don't believe that. Saints, you're either going to believe all the Bible or you're going to believe none of the Bible. Sometimes we think we're smarter than God. What's interesting about all of these cases, and there are many others I didn't take the time to, to, to uh, read, is the psalmist says it this way, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Where am I going to go to escape your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave... You're there too. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
Even there, your hand's going to lead me and your right hand will hold me. Where? Well, obviously, it's a rhetorical question because there is no place. There is nowhere that you can escape God's presence. You can be like the little child who hides their face and thinks if they can't see you, you can't see them. But I can assure you, you can hide your face. You can hide among the trees. You can run to Tarshish. You can wind up in the belly of a big fish all you want, but you cannot flee God's presence. Except, there is one time that you can flee God's presence. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you think they don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because they don't know God. Pretty clear. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Watch this. This is the curse. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Eternal destruction, in my opinion... It's not primarily flames. We want to talk a lot about the fire of hell, which is real. Jesus talked about hell so much. But the, but the issue is not the flames. The issue, according to that verse, is that we're away from the presence of God. And there, there will be none. So, his distinguishing presence. That's where we want to live. That's what we want to talk about. Now, I'm not, don't get upset with me because I know some of you are holding them in your hands. Hopefully you're holding them in your hands. I'm not uh, particularly fond of the New International Version. I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm a big NIV person. I would recommend, as James read, the New Living over the NIV. But I like the verse in NIV, verse 16, in this, in this reading because it, it renders it this way. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What else is going to distinguish us except your presence? Except the presence of God. That is what the ESV uses the word distinct. The NIV uses the word distinguished. What else but nothing? As I referred to earlier, other religions, other religions have statutes. They only have statutes or they, they only have rules. They depend on ceremony or religious exercise or religious rites, but it's all empty. All of it is empty and void. And they depend on, a lot of the other religions depend on Works depend on our ability to be quote-unquote good people. And yet we have a God whose presence is with us. Moses, in speaking to God in Numbers 14, said, They, the people of the world, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. Now, let me just stop there. How many of you think that... Buddha is in the midst of his followers. As a matter of fact, I saw something recently. They found uh, what they think is his ashes. 
Now, you, you go to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and see if you can find some ashes. Or see if you can find a body. Because there hasn't, hasn't been a body in there since about three days after Jesus went in there. They are in the midst. You are in the midst of this people for you, O Lord. Are, watch this part. You are seen face to face. And your clouds, which is his presence, stands over them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His presence. So the differentiation here is you have religions that have religious rites and religious ceremonies and works and rules, statutes. Now, by the way, we have statutes. We have written statutes. Christendom does. It's called the Bible. But I want to communicate to you today what I've communicated before, and that is without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get the benefit of this book. There's a reason that Jesus said we worship him in spirit and in truth, because if we worship him in spirit without the truth, we become nut jobs. We become super spiritual. We become wackos, as Bob Mumford used to say, seeing green angels on blue bicycles with polka dotted shower caps. But if you worship God in truth without the Holy Spirit, then you become a legalist. You become a rules and regulations person. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth. In Exodus, we are referred to as God's treasured possessions among all the peoples, for the earth is mine. We are distinguished from the, all the other nations because God sees fit to allow us to have his presence. His face turned toward us all the time. Tre- we are his treasured possession. It reminded me what Peter wrote in his first letter that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people for God's own possession. Now, the King James there says that we are God's peculiar people, which acts like he knew us pretty well. But it really means unique. It really means we're his own possession. We're a royal priest. We're chosen. We're a chosen race of people that who are set apart from all the other nations, all the other people on there. We're set apart because we have a God who is present. A God whose face is turned towards us. And who shines on us. We have a present God. Last, I read this last Sunday. Again, we're going to look at Psalm 46. He is a very present help in trouble or in times of trouble. Everybody say present. Okay. A very help in times of trouble. He's a very present help. We don't, you don't have to call 911 and wait 30 minutes. God's always present, and we pointed out that that really in the original text reads that he is an abundantly accessible help. Abundantly accessible help. Now, you can go stand at the grave of Buddha or any of these other false gods, and you can ask all you want to, but you're never going to get a reply. But when you go before the throne of God and you need, as we sung, sung about earlier, the, we need that same God. 
There will be an answer. Why? Because he's alive. The one who, who is called God with us, Emmanuel, he said this, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now that's a pretty long time. I am with you. Now say always. See, he's always with us always. So what about if I, he, he said, I'm with you always. Now you can ignore his presence. You can try to hide from his presence. But you can't escape him. We have a personal God. We have a, a God who is not distant. We have a God who is not uninterested in our lives. We do not have a God who has gone back to heaven or is sitting in some corner of the universe and he's left us on our own. And one day he's going to come back and get us. That's not the God we have. I thought of two songs. Uh, first one, God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. How many of you know that's not true? God's not watching you from a distance. He's watching you right here. His face is turned toward you. It's a cute song. It's got a good melody to it, but it's not true. And then Frederick Steele wrote this one. Our creator, God of all mankind, each life is of thy plan apart. We pray thee, guard our souls from harm for where we are. There too thou art. As we walk along life's ways at home or through the busy mart, may we be conscious that with thee we walk, for by our sides thou art. The secret of thy presence show to every sad and burdened heart, and grant the comfort of thy love, for in our inmost souls thou art. We cannot find a place so drear, so distant, or so set apart from all that constitutes our lives, for they're controlling all thou art. Not a God of a distance. Not a God who's uninvolved. We don't just live with written statutes. We do have written statutes, but please, you've got to let the Holy Spirit work this in you. Or you become a legalist. You become a rules person. We don't just have written statutes, but we have a living, engageable person. We have a living person who we speak with. We walk, as the old song says, I come to the garden alone and I walk, he walks with me and he talks with me. A real person. You say, well, I knew this all my life. Well, sometimes we don't act like it because what happens is we, we, uh, we set God in a place that he becomes a figurehead. Or Jesus becomes a great historical figure that we love and worship, but we don't really relate to him as a person. We relate to him as a religious figure who lived in yesteryear. And yet his presence is with you now. Paul cites this present God when he writes his letter to Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you. He recognized that he was issuing his charge in the presence of God. 
God's watching. Not from a distance. Right here. So what is the effect of God's presence? Well, there's no way you could be exhaustive here, but first and foremost is God's salvation. You would never be saved unless you had a present God, a God of presence. You never would have come to Christ except that he turned his face to you and gave you the grace to come to him. He says he brought you out of Egypt, speaking to the children of Israel, with his presence, with his mighty power. And what is the coming out of Egypt, if not a type of coming out of sin into the promised land with his presence? He said in verse 14, my presence will go with you. So the presence of God is directing and empowering us. It directs us. It empowers us. It empowers us to follow his direction. It also provides the presence of God as we saw earlier Conviction because the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Why? Because they were convicted of their sin. Conviction is just another word for convincing. They were convinced of their sin. They tried to hide from God because of their conviction. I remembered Isaiah said the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The presence of God calls Isaiah to to repent. It's the first words he utters in, in the book of Isaiah. We're six chapters in before he ever says anything. And he recognizes that in the presence of a holy God, he's a man of unclean lips. Of course, God takes care of that if you were to read on. And then in verse 14, he said, I'll give you rest. My presence will be with you, and I will give you rest. If you are aware of God's presence, if you know that his face is turned towards you at all times, you can rest because he's bigger than what you're facing. He's bigger than the problem you're dealing with. He's bigger than what you worry about. He's bigger than all of that. And he's not distant. He's right here. And we have to, we'll finish up by talking about entering into his manifest presence. The manifest presence of God or experiencing God's presence in a manifest way is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that. I, re- I referenced this earlier, but there are times when we, when we, we experience that, that manifestation of God's presence in a supernatural way. It may be in a healing. It may be in a deliverance. It's certainly God's manifest presence is certainly when someone comes to Christ. What greater miracle than to come from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Psalm 100 tells us to come into his presence with singing. You say, I can't sing. Well, go out in the woods and do it. I don't care. But anyway, sing. I'm about to tell you a bad joke. 
He said it won't be the first time. And I've told it to you before, and some of you will remember it, but it's the, the evangelist who's going to get married, and he's looking for a wife. These people are laughing because they already know. And he's he determines that he needs someone to play the piano as they travel around in their silver stream trailer. And so he he but he meets with this one girl and she's less than um I don't know, I'm trying to get a better word there, Jim. She's she's less than pretty. But she sings like a nightingale. Beautiful singer. And there's another lady who's just drop dead gorgeous. Can't sing a note. Can't play an instrument. And he's just, he's in a quandary. So he, he marries the one who could sing. And the next morning he wakes up on the honeymoon. I know y'all didn't do this. And he looks over at her and she's still asleep. And he looks at her and he says, sing, baby, sing. Please sing. I'm telling you that you come into his presence with singing. You come into his manifest presence with singing. Two verses later, he tells us, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his gates, enter his courts, enter his presence with thanksgiving and singing. I, I don't care what you're going through. I don't care if you're facing jail time, if you are, I'll come see you. But if you, if you will begin to issue thanksgiving to God, the thing you're, the thing that concerns you the most, it will pale. It won't go away. I'm not telling you it's going to go away. But it will pale beside the presence, the manifested presence of God. Psalm 95 said, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, just echoes. And the last thing I want to point out, I'm not going to turn, but in the manifested presence of God, we get clarity. We see things the way we didn't see. Remember the story? I can't go through the whole thing. Psalm 73, Asaph, is he's going, man, all these other folks out here, they're, they got, everything's going great for them. Nothing bad ever happens to those folks. I don't understand it. They don't love God. They don't worship God. They disobey God. They even speak ill of God. And yet all these good things are still happening to these people. What's up, God? Now, none of y'all have ever said that, but I want to just let you know what Psalm 73 talks about. And then you get to verse 17 of that, of the Psalm 73, and it says until. Everybody say until. See, when you, when you get in God's presence, you'll get clarity and you will see that you saw something until. He said, until I entered the sanctuary. And we're not talking about a room. Well, he was, but we're talking about until you enter the manifested presence of God. He said, then I understood. Then I saw it. And he goes on the rest of the chapter to describe what he saw. But he saw. 
He had clarity. Why? Because he got into the manifested presence of God. I want to tell you that to do that is an intentional act. You're not going to be just walking down the road and fall into God's manifested presence. It's it's an intentional act that you would enter into his presence with singing and that you would enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That's an intentional act. But what I can tell you is that when, in so doing, you access God's point of view. I want God's point of view. I want to see the way God sees. I don't want to see everything God sees because I can't handle it. And you can't either. Hezekiah got a letter from Sennacherib, which was not a good letter. And the Bible says he took that letter from the hand of the messengers. He read it, and watch what he does. And he then went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. He went into God's presence. Of course, remember, God's presence dwelt in the temple. He went into the temple. He spread it out before God. And watch the next verse says, Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. He wanted God's point of view. He wanted God's perspective. He wanted God to help him with this letter. How do I respond to this evil king, Sennacherib? In his presence. The Bible says that our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Say, wait a minute, somebody's missing. Well, if you go to 2 Corinthians, it says the fellowship or the participation with of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So the fellowship is with the Father and the Son and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They say, well, you mean we go back in the room in the back and we eat cake and drink punch? See, when I was a kid, I thought that's what fellowshipping was because that's called the fellowship hall. And when we, let's have some fellowship. Well, I like punch. I don't like to get punched, but I like to drink punch. And I like cake. It's obvious. But there's more to fellowship than punching cake. Fellowship is this transparency sharing or the transparent sharing of life. And we fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Chronicles gives us this. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. You say, well, it's already here. Seek his manifested presence Seek God manifesting himself in your life continually. Now, we're going to close this way. If you would stand, I I felt like the Lord directed me to do this. I've done it before, but I kept thinking that the Lord would have me pronounce a blessing upon you. Not that I'm, you know, I carry something special, but God honors his word 
And I just feel like this is for all of you, all of you watching online, wherever you may be. This is for all of you. And I, I know this is going to be uncomfortable. I want everybody to stand on their head. No. I want you to raise your hands as antennas. I want you to raise, I don't, you don't have to raise them like that. Just, if, just pick, pick up pinky up. And I want you to receive this. Let your antennas receive this, not from me, but from the presence of God in this room that has been sent from heaven. The Lord bless you and keep you. Watch this part. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, or really in the Hebrew it's the word face. Let the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace, shalom. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Lord God, we believe you're the one who blesses. We believe you are the giver of blessing. And so today we receive that word. We receive that blessing from your throne. We believe that you had that inscribed in the book of Numbers for a reason, for many reasons. But one of the reasons you had that inscribed in the book of Numbers is so we could read it today. So we receive this blessing. And we do pray that your face would shine upon us. We do pray that your face would look upon us. And that we would know and live in the presence of God all the days of our life. That we would go out of here knowing that we are your treasured possession. We would go out of here knowing that you are a personal God. That you deal with us personally. That you're not, you're not looking from a distance. But you're with us. And let that blessing translate into our lives, being that example for your kingdom in the earth. Let us walk and live in that blessing. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Be blessed. God bless you. You're dismissed.